Good morning, Birdland. I'm Mark Brown. I've been blogging about the Orioles for more than a decade on CamdenChat.com and waiting for them to win the World Series for my whole life. Thanks for listening today. Let's talk some Orioles. It's May the 12th, 2023. The Orioles are 24-13 and 13 on the season after taking two out of three from the division-leading Tampa Bay Rays. That means they are now 3-3 three and three in the 22-game stretch of tough teams. And, of course, there's that 3-3 three and three record came against two division-leading teams, the leaders of both East Divisions, the Braves and now the Rays. The Wednesday win over the Rays, that was a fun time. Two to one victory. It was a passionate, if nowhere near sellout crowd. About 14,500, I think, was the announced attendance. I was there. And let me tell you, they were excited. They were really into the game. Everybody stayed to the end, really into Yenier Cano pitching and closing out the game. And it was so many people stayed all the way to the end that uh, it took 30 minutes for me to leave the lot B after the game was over, which doesn't always even happen on games that are more crowded than that. I, I don't really know what was going on last night. It was, uh, excuse me, on Wednesday night. It was bad luck. But, you know, people people were excited to stay to the end, and that was cool. I think that it would be it would be fun if the crowds were even bigger than they are right now. But considering what the Orioles were drawing in comparable games uh, last year, talking like midweek May games against teams that aren't notorious for having a lot of uh, road team fans showing up. It's a really a big increase to have drawn what the Orioles did in the Rays series. And I'm just, I'm excited to see they're getting, you know, like a few thousand more per game over some of these really lightly attended games. And if you add that up over 81 games, if that's how it works out, I think that's pretty cool. So next up for the Orioles, of course, starting tonight, another team that started out really hot, the Pittsburgh Pirates. They are a division leader, although they have run on some hard times lately. They've lost nine of their last 10 games. So I guess what we can hope is that they're continuing to scuffle rather than they suddenly start to right the ship after a rough patch by playing the Orioles this weekend. I think the games that the Orioles are going to win a win are going to be the first two games of the series. Friday's game, the Pittsburgh starter is Johan Oviedo. He's got a 5.59 ERA on the season. Saturday's Pittsburgh starter is Ruansi Contreras, 4.74 ERA on the season. Because the Sunday game, the Mother's Day game, that's the best Pirates starter so far. Mitch Keller, who has a 2.72 ERA to date. Of course, the Orioles' offense has proven capable of doing well against some good starting pitchers, most notably quite recently when they beat up on Max Fried back in that Atlanta series. And so, you know, don't write it off as an automatic loss. The Orioles are, uh, you know, they're doing well this year, so they can succeed against good players. And at the same time, don't count the chickens before the eggs hatch because both Oviedo and Contreras could maybe be due for better fortune by their fielding independent pitching numbers each of which is nearly a point lower uh, than their ERA number, which which could mean they're due for some regression of luck in their favor. Not guaranteed. Not everybody gets that luck in their favor, but it could mean that that's what's going to happen. For the Pirates so far, their best players, kind of a un, really unknown before this year, 30-year-old player, Connor Joe. I think he's kind of a Steve Pierce-like player for the 
2023 Pirates, kind of like what Pierce was maybe for the 2014 Orioles, just uh, a late bloomer who's succeeding with, you know, the first real time he's given a lot, given a lot of opportunity. He's got a 912 OPS so far this season. They've got the venerable Andrew McCutcheon hitting well for them. Their star player, Brian Reynolds, who they just gave a contract extension to. And second-year young player, Jack Sawinski. All three of those players I just named are OPSing above 850 for the season. So that's a pretty good quartet in the lineup. There are a number of guys who are scuffling, and hopefully the Orioles pitchers will be able to keep the scufflers down rather than having it be where the guys who are hitting 150 and barely slugging it all or hitting home runs against them or whatever. But, I mean, the Pirates, as a team, they have a lot going for them. Their offense, they're leading the National League in doubles, triples, and stolen bases. So, you know, that's a team, probably a sign of a team that's got speed. They maybe don't have as much power like home run power, but... That's, you know, they've got something going for them. That's why they were able to do as well as they were before this 9 out of 10 loss stretch they're now in the middle of. They've also got a pretty darn good bullpen, including their closer, David Bednar, who has a 0.60 ERA so far this season. Pretty good for your closer. Not as good, of course, as Yenier Cano for the Orioles, but, you know, if your closer's got a sub-1 ERA, you are doing pretty good. So that's the Pirates. We'll see what the Orioles are able to do against them this weekend. I sure hope they can find a way to win two out of three. Uh, now that they've started off the 22-game stretch, three out of three, I, I hope they can do a little better than the 9-13 and 13 record that I said would be kind of my target hope before this stretch began. That would take 6-10 and 10 from this point on, and considering... The hardest teams are out of the way. Six and 10 over the next 16 would feel a little disappointing now. But, you know, sometimes some breaks go in your favor. Sometimes they go against. And we will see, I guess, what happens over the next few weeks. And especially over this weekend, the Mother's Day weekend series against the Pirates. So the season is now about one quarter over, slightly less than that. It's, I think, about 23%. So what I want to do is look back on the five best Orioles so far by baseball reference wins above replacement, just to see what's going very right for the team so far. And number one, absolutely the most surprising, I just mentioned his name, Yenny Cano. He's got a 1.8 war so far this season. That is amazing for a guy who, as I've said before and will say again, he was really, to me, just the throw-in to make the 40-man roster math even on that Jorge Lopez trade last year. I didn't have very high hopes for him because his command problems were so severe, but he's really seemed to have resolved that. We've now got 18 and two-thirds innings for Cano in the 2023 season, a 0.00 ERA, only allowed three hits out of 57 batters faced. That is simply absurd. I don't know if he's going to kind of steadily convert to being the closer instead of Felix Bautista, if he's maybe going to stay as the any of the 7th, 8th, ninth inning fireman kind of role, which I really hope the Orioles maybe continue to have him more in that role because he's just been so dominant. It's not even like he's making you, you know, having you be a nail-biter every time. He's just getting so many strikeouts and ground balls. There's just almost no hard contact off of him. It's amazing. Second place, Jorge Mateo, 1.5 
wins above replacement so far this season. He has shown speed. He has shown defense, shown a little bit of power so far. He is currently my wife's favorite Oriole. She is driving the hashtag Team Mateo fan club. Mateo, unfortunately, has been scuffling a bit in May. He's batting just 129 for the month so far. And in addition to that, he's not hitting very well at Oriole Park at Camden Yards with just a 558 home OPS so far this season. So for Mateo, it's going to be worth seeing where does he settle down as a player, what's kind of going to be his true talent level for the season. I think that obviously it was never going to be have an OPS over 1,000 for the season. I hope he can rebound from his May slump a little bit and maybe keep it over an 800 OPS, which, you know, when you add in his, his speed and the base paths and his defense as a shortstop, I think that would be a mighty valuable player. Maybe he won't end up being the second most valuable Oriole for the season, but I think he could stay certainly in the top five if he's able to not just totally slump here for the rest of May and beyond. Number three up to this point, Tyler Wells, 1.2 wins above replacement. That's because he's got a 3.15 ERA, by far the best Orioles starting pitcher so far this season when measuring by ERA. Wells is overperforming. He's got a 4.96 FIP so far, so that could mean he is due for some regression in a bad direction. He does lead the team in home runs allowed with eight so far this season, so that's also maybe a bit of a concern, probably is why his FIP is so much higher than his ERA right now. Another guy, it's been fun to see him so far, and you know I hope he can keep up something like that. In fourth, we've got Adley Rutschman at exactly 1.0. That's actually kind of a little disappointing for Rutschman after he went on to have a 5.2 war in 113 games last season, so he's not nearly on that pace right now. Uh, In part, that's because he is not grading as well on the defensive components of the, uh, the war metrics this year. I don't I don't really know why that is. The defensive metrics are kind of a black box, especially for catchers. So hopefully, uh, you know, he can maybe start hitting for, I guess, a little more power to make up for that, or maybe his defense is not actually uh, slipping in the way that War suggests, whatever. Um, I'm plenty excited about Rutschman. I think even if he only goes on to have, like, whatever, a four-war season, that's still going to be a great player to have on the Orioles. Number five, another surprising guy, as I was maligning him almost from the day the Orioles signed him. That's Adam Frazier. He's at a 0.9 wins above replacement so far this season. He is about as light hitting as I expected, but he does draw walks and he does make contact as it was advertised he would. And so that kind of makes him a guy for the classic Buck Showalter Pofo, productive out for Orioles. Unlike some of the other players in the lineup, you can actually count on Adam Fraser to make contact in a situation where merely making contact is valuable, like, you know, man on third with less than two out. Fraser seems like a guy who is maybe going to be able to find a way to bring him in, even if he doesn't get a hit. So I am surprisingly happy with Adam Fraser so far, although... As I'll say a little bit later in this podcast, I still kind of hope that he maybe gets displaced to the bench in favor of one of the infield prospects at Norfolk. But for now, Adam Frazier, he's number five on the team in war. So, hey, good job, Adam. 
I am much more pleased that he is here than I really expected. If you'd like to email me a question to have answered on the show, please email camdencastpod at gmail.com and I will read an email for every episode where I've gotten an email. I will be right back after a message from a Fans First Sports Network sponsor. All right, so usually right here I would dig into the prospect of the episode. That's going to be back next time as I'm going to continue looking at the Orioles as a whole as we are at this nearly one quarter of the way through the season so far. So we just talked about all the things that have gone right for the Orioles so far. So now on the other side of this ad break, I'm going to flip to the other side and look at what has gone wrong so far. And unfortunately, I would say number one remains the team defense. As I talked in an earlier episode, the Orioles are 29th in StatCast outs above average. That continues to be the case. They are at minus 14 outs, now below the average, remaining in 29th. So I guess if you want to look at some silver lining, other teams that are in the bottom 10 are other teams that are doing very well so far this season. The Orioles' AL East foes, the Red Sox, and Blue Jays are in the bottom 10 of the StatCast's outs above average. The Minnesota Twins are also down in the bottom 10. And in 30th place out of 30 teams is the Atlanta Braves, who are one of the best teams in baseball so far. So maybe that means all of these teams are overcoming bad defense. Maybe it means StatCast is more harsh on their defense than it is deserved. I don't really know. Again, defense, it's really... A black box, you just kind of have to, you know, your your eye test for defense isn't always reliable either. So you just kind of have to hope it all comes together for the Orioles, although this number is not very good. It it had the team has been coming together well so far. And, you know, I, I hope they can either improve the defense or just keep uh overachieving relative to maybe what you would expect the 29th rated statcast defense to show. The worst position, unfortunately, does remain third base. That's minus nine out of that minus 14 outs above average is entirely third base. And that's chiefly still on what remains, um, what it classifies as straight up plays. So those are the ones that are really not not exactly like just bend over and get them, but maybe take a couple steps and dive and get them. And I, I do feel like looking at the eye test, Gunnar Henderson has not been as good at making some of those diving plays this year as last year. I don't really know why that is either, and you know I, I hope that can be reversed. Um, also negative positions for the Orioles so far, left field, which we've also discussed in a previous episode of this show. I think that's mostly Austin Hayes' lack of uh, effective range out there now. Second base is at minus two, and so is first base. And, you know, second base, uh, whatever, I don't know. But first base, I do feel like Ryan Mountcastle is maybe not doing as well with the range or with the picks either uh, so far this season. So that's that's something that can hopefully improve. Henderson himself, as I said, a big part of the third base negative. And still, he's only hitting 175 for the season, and he is striking out a lot, although his walk rate is nice. I just don't know where he's going to settle in. It is still relatively a small sample size, but it's not as small as it was just after a couple weeks of April. And, you know, at the end of May, if Henderson is still batting below 200, I think that's going to be 
disappointing. And, you know, at that point, I would be starting to wonder how much more it would take for the Orioles to think maybe they want to try something different. Another problem area, as you probably are already well aware, is the starting rotation. The Orioles have a 5.08 ERA from their starting pitchers to date. That is also in the bottom 10 of MLB teams, and that is in large part because the trio of Dean Kramer, Grayson Rodriguez, and Kyle Bradish has a 4.97 ERA or worse. Unlike some of the other pitchers I've mentioned here, they do not have FIP numbers that suggest maybe they're due for some good luck regression. So, uh, you know, a question also, where are these guys going to settle in? I'm also curious, what is it going to take for Mike Elias to maybe decide he wants to make a change and shuffle one of those guys out of the rotation? Because I think, you know, again, if you get to the end of May and you've got guys with an ERA over five, it to me, it's tougher to keep making excuses once two months of the season have gone by for guys who are just that elevated ERA, um, especially if you're, you know, well above five, not just even hovering near five, which in, in the 2023 offensive environment, a mid four ERA or higher is not as bad as it has been for the last few years. In Norfolk, we've got prospect D.O. Hall, 3.29 ERA through his six AAA starts. He's got a 12.2 strikeouts per nine innings against that competition, although, you know, continuing to be the problem with him, he's also walking 4.6 batters per nine innings. Another lefty, Cole Irvin, who already got banished from the rotation, he's now made four starts for the AAA Norfolk Tides, and his command that was really poor in Baltimore has improved against that AAA competition. He's only issued three walks. Now, I will note I am recording this episode before Irvin is going to be pitching for Norfolk on Thursday night, so if he walks five batters on Thursday night and suddenly that changes, you know, that's why I didn't say anything about it, because I didn't know. My last problem area is the bench, because other than Ryan McKenna, who is doing better than I expected at the plate, although... I remain annoyed at him for dropping that pop-up on the first weekend in Boston. The bench, other than McKenna, not really hitting. You've got Ryan O'Hearn, James McCann, Taryn Vavra, Kyle Stowers. The best OPS out of that group is the 606 posted by Ryan O'Hearn presently. So that's a that's a rough bench. That's a rough hitting bench. You know, that's when you get, if you're seeing multiple of those guys in a starting lineup in the same game, you're like, oh, geez, you know, here's one of these classic Orioles forfeit lineups. I think that maybe these players are a little better than they've shown so far. And with the younger players like Vavra and Stowers, maybe you could argue, well, you know, they deserve to get more regular chances and maybe they would perform better if they were getting regular chances instead of sporadic chances. I don't know that, you know, what I know is they aren't hitting so far. And, you know, the the Orioles don't exactly have any underperforming regulars such that you really feel like right now they need to let Taryn Vavra or Kyle Stowers rip with regular playing time. So another shrug emoji there. I will say I might rather see Joey Ortiz or even Jordan Westberg playing second base with Adam Frazier being relegated more to a lefty bench bat role uh, to see what those guys can do. But, 
It's clear the Orioles view that differently. They are not just looking for any excuse to call up Jordan Westberg or Joey Ortiz for lengthy playing time. I think if they were going to do that, we would have seen one of those guys show up when Ramon Urias went on to the injured list. And, you know, that's not what they did. It's not who they called up. They called up Vavra, and that's that's what uh, that's what they decided to do. So, you know, you don't want to have too many complaints about the Orioles 21 and uh, 24 and 13 records so far this year. I am notorious on Camden Chat as a pessimist, and that's true. Sometimes when I look ahead, I am always anxious for what's going to happen with the Orioles. But at the same time, if there is one thing I have learned in my adult life of Orioles fandom, it's that you want to make the most of enjoying the good times for however long that they last. And Whatever ends up happening later on this season, if the team does do worse than this and they're not, you know, continuing to compete for a playoff spot or whatever, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen in July, August, September, but whatever does happen, they can't take away from me that I'm happy about them on May the 12th, and I'm going to enjoy that for as long as it lasts. I hope that you are able to do that as well. That's all I've got for today. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider subscribing on your favorite platform and leaving a rating or review, or tell a friend, family member, coworker, or whatever about the show. New episodes will be out every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning, so I will see you here again on Monday morning. Hopefully, we will have some good games to talk about in this pirate series that will happen between now and then. In the meantime, if you want to find me, you can leave a comment for me on Camden Chat or tweet at me at Camden Chat on Twitter. Good Morning Birdland is a Camden Cast production on the Fans First Sports Network. Until next time, go O's.